we begin worship this morning, let's go to God in prayer. Will you pray with me? Almighty and most holy God, we recognize you this morning as the one who holds all things in hand, the very ground of our being itself, that you come and create new things out of nothing and breathe life into them. You, the God that we seek to worship this morning, be present in this place. Flood this place with your presence, with your Holy Spirit, that as we sing songs, as we pray, as we search the Scriptures, as I preach a word, that you might fill our hearts and minds with new excitement for what you are doing in this place and beyond. That we would sense your calling for us to join you in the work that you are doing. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that say yes and feet that move willingly toward those places. God, as we come into this place, we come with baggage, stuff that we have done and left undone this week both knowingly and unknowingly. We know that these things that we do or don't do drive a wedge between us, not because you would have that wedge be there, but it's a wedge that we have built up, a wall that we have built. And we don't want that wall to be there. And so we ask you to forgive us this morning. Forgive us for these things, these places in which we have turned away, that we have followed our own uh, pursuits, our own desires, our own comforts, when we have ignored you and we have ignored our neighbor around us, those that you have called us to serve. Forgive us, Lord. Please take that sin as far as the east is from the west, both from us and from your memory, so that nothing would hinder us from worshiping you this morning and receiving the grace that you have for us. We thank you for calling us to this place, for calling us to be your church, we thank you for this space in which to worship. We thank you for the beauty of creation. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who was born for us and lived a life for us and died for us and then was raised again. We thank you for the forgiveness, and the mercy and grace that Jesus came to tell us about. May we put our trust in his message, put our trust in him as we seek to follow him as disciples. Lord, there are many among us who are not here this morning because of illness, uh, because of things that are keeping them from being here. We want to lift these to you this morning. We know that you're already aware of each and every situation, that you know the very numbers of hairs on our heads. But still, we want to call them out to you. We want to take this burden from our shoulders and lay it at your feet so that we might take up the yoke of Jesus, the yoke that we were meant to carry. And so as we say these names and situations out loud, we ask that you would hear our prayer. Unhaffner, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hall of Staples. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
Even as names are being called out and overlapping each other, we take comfort knowing that you hear it all, that you know it all, that you love these people more than we can ever possibly love them, and we love them an awful lot. So we just pray that you would continue to work toward the good in each and every life. The Hodsons, who are not here this morning, Mike in his back pain, uh, so many others that are slipping our mind right now, we take comfort knowing that you've got it all that you know it all, that you're, you're constantly working. Even when we go to sleep at night, you are working toward our good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, we do pray for this revival that is uh, breaking out in colleges, uh, in small towns. We pray that this would spread, that your Holy Spirit would would draw those folks out of these chapels and places of worship and out into the communities and that the fire would spread, that it would come to Texas, that it would come to Grace Church. Bring uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Excite us. Get us energized for the work that you have called us to do. Open our minds and hearts to new concepts, new ways of doing things. We need a fresh move of the Spirit, and we pray for that this morning. Lord, as always, it is our honor, our privilege to be here to offer our worship and praise to you because you are worthy of it, and we pray that you would be glorified in all that we say and do this morning. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I have some questions for y'all this morning. Um, today is Transfiguration Sunday. That's a really big word, transfiguration. What does the word transfiguration mean? Any guesses? Don't know. How about transformation? Do y'all know the movie Transformers? Yeah, where they change into something else? Transformation is like when you transform. Like when you transform into something else, right? And so there's a Greek word that that word comes from. Uh, call, it's, it's where we get the word metamorphosis. That's a really big word. But there's another thing that undergoes metamorphosis. What does a caterpillar become once it undergoes metamorphosis? 
A butterfly. A butterfly, exactly. Yes. So it's a changing into something completely different. And did you know that Jesus, when Jesus decided to come down to earth as a little baby and become a human, Jesus transfigured into a human, right, from God. He was fully God and fully human. And then on Transfiguration Sunday, we celebrate the time that he showed his disciples the part where he was not just human, but also God. So the real trick was not that Jesus became God. Jesus is always God. But that Jesus showed his disciples how he was God on Transfiguration Sunday. And so that's what we are talking about today in Sunday school and today in Children's Church is those really big words, transfiguration, and then what's it called when, you, when a butterfly, when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly? It's another big word. Transforming metamorphosis. I know, very, very big words today. All right, guys, would you like to pray with me this morning? All right, let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Enough to come to earth and become a human for us. And thank you for being God for us, too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's head on to Children's Church. Superman. Superman had to, his disguise was a human, right? He had to disguise himself as a human, and then sometimes he would take off the glasses, and they'd go, whoa, who are you? I know, you would think he'd need something more than just glasses and his hair parted on one side. But All right, our, uh, our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, if you've been with us for some time, you know that we're working our way through the narrative lectionary. We started months ago in the book of Genesis, and we have been working our way through. Now we are reading about the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to start in chapter 16, verses 24, and we'll go through 17, 8. Listen now for a word from the Lord. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. As he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white, suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. 
But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, may your word be proclaimed through me or perhaps in spite of me this morning. Amen. So if you've spent any uh, amount of time in the Old Testament, what the Jewish people would call the Hebrew Scriptures, you would see that one of two things happen when you come into the presence of God if you look at God. Thing number one could be that you die on the spot. If you, if you look at God, you die on the spot. Number two, if you look at God, perhaps your face might just become radiant and start to glow. Now, because most people in the Old Testament are pretty smart and they don't want to test whether it's number one or number two for them, when God is around, they tend to hide their faces. They tend to avert their eyes, except for one guy. There was one guy that I know of that faced God, looked at him directly, and lived to tell about it. Do you know who that is? Moses. Moses, this guy named Moses. In Exodus 24, we have this fascinating story in which Moses takes a handful of friends and he goes up on Mount Sinai because they want to meet with God and they want to have a word with God. And while they're there, Moses is invited to the very top. Now, God's glory has descended in a cloud on the very top of the mountain. And he says to Moses, you and only you, Come on up. And Moses enters into the cloud of God's glory. And there he remains for 40 days and 40 nights, speaking face to face with God. It's an incredible story. Now later, when he finally comes down from the mountain, carrying those tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments on it, the Bible tells us that his face was radiant and bright, filled with light. And it freaked the people out so that he had to wear a veil over his face just so that he could uh, stay in the camp and continue to lead them because they, they didn't know what was going on, but they just knew his face was glowing. And maybe, you know, if, if being close to God will kill you, maybe being close to Moses' face perhaps would do some damage. They didn't know, so he covered it up. Now, of course, the disciples knew this story uh, they would have grown up hearing this story of Moses on Mount Sinai speaking face to face with God. They were very familiar with it. And so it's no surprise to me that when Jesus invites a few of his friends up onto a mountain and his face and his clothes begin to glow and a cloud descends upon the mountain and a voice booms out from the cloud, this is my son do what he says, it's no surprise to me that their reaction, Peter, James, and John, is to go onto the ground and to cover their faces and their heads so they do not see God. I mean, come on. We've all seen Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? We know how that ends when the ark lid comes off and Indiana Jones says, don't look at it, don't look at it. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, as Emily said to the kids. Uh, the story of Jesus being transfigured before their eyes into something. Something that is glowing and radiant and fearful. This is the last Sunday before Lent. 
This is the last Sunday before Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem and the instrument of death that awaits him there, the cross. Jesus tells his disciples, I must go into Jerusalem and there be betrayed into the hands of sinners and I will die. And there's so many things that we could say about this moment on the mountain. A lot of sermons, a lot of uh, books and uh, critiques have been written about what exactly is this about? What is going on? Why did Matthew include this in his gospel? What is the point of this story? Perhaps the point of the story is that Jesus is preparing his inner circle for future leadership. He's already told Peter that I'm going to give you the keys to heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven, bound in heaven. It could be that Jesus is just trying to prepare a few of his disciples to take over the reins once he is gone. Perhaps this is about, and a lot of people think this, about Jesus giving us a taste of who he really is, or his disciples giving them a taste of who he really is. But then who is he? Is he Emmanuel, which means God with us? Is he the prophet that Moses spoke of? Moses said, God will raise up a prophet just like me, and I want you to listen to him. Perhaps this is what this moment is about. Moses glowed, and so did Jesus, and so this is the one. Or perhaps this is Messiah, which Peter has already proclaimed to the others. We think you are the Messiah, and Jesus said, you're right. So maybe this is about that. Maybe this is a moment of strengthening for Jesus himself as he comes down from the mountain and heads to the cross. Perhaps it's supposed to strengthen the disciples as they follow Jesus to the cross. Maybe it's all of the above. And what the heck is going on with Moses and Elijah? Why are they there? Two other guys that met God on a mountain. What is that all about? But what I want to talk about today is the theory that I have that perhaps this transfiguration moment was about Jesus showing the disciples and showing us that under the new covenant, the divine human relationship has changed. That something is new. Whereas under the old covenant, you didn't want to dare look at God because your face might melt off. But in the new covenant, the relationship has changed. And that it is okay to be in the presence of God, and to look at God. And I have this theory because Jesus, as the disciples cower and cover their eyes, he bends down and touches their shoulders, and he says, my friends, lift your eyes. Do not be afraid. And when they look up, it's just Jesus all by himself. You know, last week we talked about John Wesley's thoughts on prevenient grace. We said this is the grace that meets you from the moment of birth and keeps you connected to God before you even know what's going on. God's grace is working in and through and upon each and every one of, the, of us. And I love that idea of prevenient grace, the grace that goes before. But Methodists also have an understanding of a different type of grace, and this is called sanctifying grace. This is the grace we believe that transforms us or transfigures us into the likeness of Jesus. 
You see, in the Christian tradition, we believe that Jesus reveals God to us. If you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. And we find that God is loving, and God is merciful, and God is self-sacrificing, and God hangs out with all the wrong people. We see that, and we know what God is like. But there's another part of Christian tradition that says Jesus also reveals the end of humanity, the telos, or the fulfillment of humanity. Where are we headed as humans? If you want to know, look at Jesus. You may recall in the parable of the weed and weeds last week, Jesus ended the explanation by saying, On that day, on the day of the Lord, when all is fulfilled and eternity is here, when the root of sin is finally removed from us and cleansed out of us, he said, you all will shine like the sun. You will be radiant, glorious. You will glow. This process of transformation or divinization, I believe, begins probably uh, somewhere in baptism has something to do with it, but typically we talk about the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When you confess Jesus as Lord, the process of sanctification begins and ends at eternity when it is finally completed. God is sanctifying us or making us into something new from the inside out, perfecting us, as John Wesley would say, are you perfected in love, fitting us for heaven? There are parts of us that cannot be in that place. And so those are being transformed into things that can be in eternity and can last forever. As First Peter says it, we are taking part in the divine nature, replacing the human nature with a divine nature. And this is the grace of God. And this grace comes as we dwell in the presence of God. We believe that this comes through things like prayer, reading your Bible, taking communion, worshiping regularly. We believe it comes in the gift of baptism. It comes with things like fasting and abstinence. It comes in helping the poor and visiting the sick and the imprisoned. These are all channels of grace or means of grace. These are ways in which God's grace is poured out on us in ever greater measure. But I got to tell you, you can't dwell in the presence of God if you're afraid of your face melting off like Indiana Jones, right? You can't gaze at the divine if you have your face covered up. Now we said Elijah was another guy that met God on a mountain. I don't know if you know his story. 1 Kings 19 tells this also wonderful story. God calls to Elijah and says, I want to meet with you on this mountain. And so Elijah goes up and he finds a cave, and he hides in the cave. And, and, and the story tells us that as he's hiding in the cave, he hears this terrible wind outside, but he perceives that God is not in the wind, and so he stays in the cave. And then he hears rocks splitting 
like an avalanche outside the cave, but God's not in the avalanche. And then he hears an earthquake, but God's not in the earthquake. And then this roaring fire, but God's not in the fire. And so he stays in the cave. And it's not until an eerie silence descends upon the mountain that Elijah knows God is here. And so slowly, tentatively, he steps out of the cave to meet with God just like Moses, except for one difference. The Bible says he covered his face with his cloak and he would not look at God. And as we enter into Lent, I wonder what are we covering our faces with? What is keeping us from gazing at God the way Moses did? The way Jesus seemed to be encouraging his disciples, get up and be not afraid. Look with your eyes. You know, traditionally during the 40 days of Lent, we give something up. Fasting, one of the means of grace. This is to remind us of several things. First, it reminds us that we are made of dust and that eventually we will become dust again, which means God is in control of all things, including our very lives. It's to remind us that we are totally dependent upon God for everything, including our very breath. It's to prepare our hearts for the darkness of Good Friday and the waiting of Holy Saturday and the celebration of Easter Sunday. But you know, giving something up during Lent could also reveal to us what we have been covering our faces with. Let me just think about this for a moment. What kinds of things distract you? What is it in your life that takes your eyes off of Jesus? What is it that keeps you from gazing at the divine presence? Perhaps social media? Perhaps work? I've got things I've got to get do at work. I've done at work. I've got deadlines. Maybe it's sports. Maybe you just love sports, recreation. Perhaps it's all your favorite foods whenever and wherever you want them. Things of comfort. These aren't bad things. These are things that God puts in our lives as He provides for us. But sometimes those things that God provides for good in our lives actually become distractions. And we don't even realize it until we give it up for just a period of time that we begin to realize, oh, man, I really would like that thing that I normally have whenever I want it. You see, this is why during Lent, we pick one or maybe two things that we love, and we give it up for 40 days. Now, if you're counting the days from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday, you're going to say, Pastor, that's 46 days. Why do you keep saying 40 days? Well, see, that's, that's the good thing in there. Sundays are feast days. Sundays don't count. All right, so if you give up... Uh, you love steak, and you eat steak whenever you want to eat steak all the time. If you want a steak, you just cook it up and eat it. And you say, for Lent, I'm going to give up eating steak. So that every time I'm hungry for a steak, I will thank God for the gift of steaks, and that I have the money to buy them and the means to cook them and to eat them whenever I want. And I'll turn to God in prayer, and I'll say, thank you. I realize, ultimately, my dependence comes upon you, not on the steak. And so I'm not going to cover my eyes with the steak anymore. The coverings are off. But then on Sunday, Sunday comes and God says, cook you up a steak. 
Eat it slow. Make sure you enjoy it. I don't know what that thing is for you for Lent. I've got a couple ideas for me of what I think I want to give up this year. Typically, you wouldn't tell other people what you're giving up. That kind of misses the point of it. We're not here to brag about what we're giving up. This is a time to reconnect with God, to turn and face God, to look Him square in the face. You know, and sometimes as we're looking at at our Lord, as we try to follow Jesus as best we can as a disciple of Jesus, and we're we're really trying to lean in and, and listen to what Jesus is saying and go where Jesus is telling us to go, sometimes that leads us to these mountaintop places like Peter and James and John. Jesus leads us up into this high place, and for a moment you get a glimpse of the glory of God, and you go, this is kind of scary, but it's also wonderful and awesome, and I don't really know what to think about this. And do I drop down, or do I stay up here and build booths for it, or what, what do we do here? We've mentioned this uh, revival thing that has broken out in Wilmore, Kentucky, at a little college, Asbury College University. It's a little bitty town with 6,000 people in it. Total population, 6,000. And this little private college, they were having their chapel services, just like they always do every week. And on Monday, they go in for chapel. And when chapel is over, instead of leaving, people stayed in the chapel and continued to worship. And other faculty went off to teach their classes and other students went off to teach. But later that afternoon, they noticed there's still some people in the chapel. That's kind of weird. And then the next day, they came back and they're like, there's still some people in the chapel. What's going on here? And before you know it, word kind of got out that something's going on in the chapel. Maybe we should go see. And more and more people came. And then other colleges heard about it, and they started driving over to see. Last report I heard yesterday, they have closed off the borders to the city because they have about 10,000 people in there, and there's no place to put everybody. It's just a little bitty town. right? This is this mountaintop experience in this chapel that's happening. But i got to tell you, keeping your eyes on Jesus means you got to come off that mountain at some point. If you just stay up there all the time, nothing's going to get done. You've got to come off the mountain. Moses, God said, Moses, go down. Your people have made a golden calf. You've got to get down there and straighten them out, right? To Elijah, Elijah, you've got to go back down the mountain because I need you to anoint a couple new kings and a prophet who will follow you. You've got work to do. Get down. Jesus, you've got to come off the mountain because I need you to go to Jerusalem where the cross awaits you. You can't stay up here. Disciples, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to come down off the mountain and make your way to Jerusalem. Lent is about coming off the mountain. It's about purposely facing the valley before Easter. That's what Lent is about. So it's really interesting that before this moment, this transfiguration moment, Jesus says to the disciples, you know, if you want to follow me, if you want to save your life, if you want to find true life, you too are going to have to take up your cross. You're going to have to be willing to die, physically, metaphorically, however you take that. You've got to be willing to let go of whatever is keeping you from fixing all your attention on me and following me. Because that's where true life can be found. If you want to be transformed, 
If you want to be transfigured into divine life, you must risk exposing yourself to the gaze of God. And that can be awesome and really scary at the same time. Because when you turn and set your eyes on God and you let God look you up and down, one of the things that's going to come out of that is God is going to say, you know, there's some things in your life that have brought distraction. There are some things that started out good but have become something more for you and we need to have a chat about that. And you go... Or God's going to say, you know, there's some things in your life that never should have been there. We need to have a chat about that. Right? This is what it means to gaze upon God and to let God gaze upon you. To be able to take the chastisement, the discipline, the correction, but also to be transformed into something radiant and glorious and glowing. And as Jesus says, then when you let your light shine, those around you see your good works and give thanks to God. Your life itself, your transformed life becomes a testimony to the world. Sanctification. This is what this is called, sanctification. I'll close with this. Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite authors, says of sanctification, he says, discovering that we are loved in our unloveliness we start to become godlike. Little by little, the forgiven person starts to become a forgiving person, the healed person, a healing person, the loved person, a loving person, and the end of the process is eternal life. Isn't that awesome? Folks, as we go into Lent, do not divert your gaze from God. Stand still. Look at him. Do not be afraid. Take whatever comes from the moment. As we get ready to sing, I'm going to ask the band to come up. As we get ready to sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. So, you know, this Asbury thing... Uh, started off with somebody who was leading worship that day, just simply said, we're going to leave the chapel open. If anybody wants to stay and continue praying, you're welcome to. We're not going to close it down and lock it down. I just want to offer that same thing today. Not that we're trying to repeat anything or copy anything or there's any magic formula, but if you feel like you want to stay in the sanctuary today and continue to pray, it's open. It's welcome for you. Okay? With that, will you grab the hand of the person next to you and receive this blessing? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved, you are completely forgiven, and you are uniquely empowered. Now you're called to go out into the world and shine as a light for Jesus. As you do that, as you try to keep your gaze fixed on Jesus, you're probably going to divert your attention at some point. You're going to make some mistakes because we all do. But it doesn't change how God feels about us because God's love is not based on our performance. 
It's based in His very nature, the nature that we believe we are receiving, and that is love itself. So that by grace, when He looks at us, He says, Beloved, y'all are nothing but the best of the best of the best. And I think that if you could believe a pinch of that, you would leave this place and be transformed and transfigured in the world. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please take that good word and go from this place in peace. Amen.